10,000 people. That's how many were on the streets in Geneva on that wet, gray evening this past week, joining in the Black Lives Matter march here in town. 10,000. Maybe you've seen pictures, or maybe you were there yourself. The marchers carried signs with messages like, racism is also a pandemic. Silence is not an option. Hundreds, if not thousands, knelt on the Mont Blanc Bridge in an expression of solidarity, in remembrance of lives lost. The images are striking and beautiful. And maybe most striking and beautiful is the sheer diversity of people who were present. People from a variety of backgrounds and ages standing side by side and calling for a moral reckoning with racism, all standing up for a more just and equitable world. It's sort of incredible, isn't it? This scene is being repeated all over right now. In cities and communities everywhere, people are saying enough is enough. We cannot wait. We need to take steps toward a new future. It is encouraging and enlivening, sensing the possibility for positive change in this moment. And what I keep hearing about the work ahead is that we need to be prepared to stay engaged. The kind of change that we're talking about right now, addressing unjust systems, looking at our own prejudices, learning and growing as communities, it's all gonna take time. It's a marathon ahead, not a sprint, and we are gonna need fuel to stay engaged. For us as Christians, we are going to need the resources of our tradition that sustain us and feed our spirits and keep us focused. Which is why I think it's not a bad thing that we are just now entering ordinary time. I don't know if that's a familiar term for you or not, but it's one way we talk about this long period of time that follows the Easter season. This season that isn't so much a time for fasts and feasts, but for focusing on the daily work of following Jesus, of being disciples here and now. So I know ordinary is probably not the word you would first use to describe June of 2020, or any of this year probably so far, but the ordinary work of loving God and loving our neighbors is our calling today, just like always. And in this extraordinary, ordinary time, we can use all the resources we can find to equip and to sustain us. So enter Paul's letter to the Romans. Now, I don't know if this particular letter seems to you like the obvious place to go for sustenance and equipping. In many ways, it's a little bit daunting. It's the longest of Paul's letters. It is dense and packed with complex theology. It's full of sentences that go on and on and then go on some more until you sort of forget where you began and you have to start over and figure out where you're going. While most of Paul's letters seem to be written with obvious practical concerns in mind, Romans reads a little bit more like a theological treatise with the context more in the background. There's no shallow end of the pool with this letter. It is all deep water <laughs> and you need to be ready to swim. But the more time I spend with Romans, the more I'm convinced that it's worth it. Paul is up to something very big in this letter. He means to show that in Jesus, the world has shifted on its axis. 
through his faithfulness, God is up to something, to redeeming humanity and to the whole, and the whole groaning creation. This letter calls us to pay attention to just how vast and all-encompassing the gospel really is. It leaves nothing untouched in our lives and in our world. So we're diving into Romans today, and we'll spend some time swimming in this letter over the weeks to come as well, exploring some of the resources it provides for living our lives as Christians in this particular moment. Our passage today is typically dense for this letter, full of big theological ideas, but I want to center on one in particular today, and that's hope. What do you think of when you hear that word? It's a deceptively simple word, I think, because like faith and love, those other two from Paul's famous triad, it gets used in so many different ways. Lots of theological words are only reserved really for theological talk. We don't talk about justification and sanctification a whole lot in our daily conversation. But hope is a word we use all the time. I hope it doesn't rain tomorrow. I hope they have my favorite croissant at the bakery. I hope the promotion comes through. I hope the results of the scan are positive. I hope a vaccine is available soon. In much of our common usage, when we say we hope for something, we really just mean that we want it to happen. We would like things to turn out a particular way, we hope. So that's one way the word gets used, to express a wish or desire. And then there's feeling hopeful, which I think more often has to do with a sort of optimistic mindset. If you're feeling hopeful, you feel the odds are in your favor. I'm feeling hopeful about the meeting tomorrow. I'm feeling hopeful about the upcoming election. I'm feeling hopeful after the good turnout at the demonstration. We use that word hope to talk about our desires and about the feeling that things are maybe headed in the right direction. But it seems pretty clear that Paul is really talking about something else in our passage this morning. Here, hope is something much more certain than our desires and much more enduring than a feeling. Paul writes here of hope in Christ, hope that does not disappoint us. So just where does that come from? Well, look at where our passage begins. Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand. It's a mouthful, I know, and that sentence isn't even over yet. But the message there is clear enough. Because of the faithfulness of Jesus, because of who he is and what he has done, we are standing on the solid ground of grace. We are at home in his freely given love, reconciled to God and at peace. All that is accomplished. You see that here, right? Everything here is in the present tense. This is simply how it is, Paul says. We are justified by faith. We have peace with God. We have access to this grace. Remember what I said about the world shifting on its axis? Well, in our lives, Paul says, we know this shift already. Reconciliation with God is already at work in us, a work, a gift that we have already been given. We are sure of this gift, and that's where our hope begins. It's no secret that the world is not yet as God means it to be. The creation groans and injustice rears its head and suffering persists, 
It's no secret that there is a long way to go. But we have hope in what God is up to in the world because we have seen it in ourselves. Because we stand already on the solid ground of grace. This sort of hope is much more than a vague wish. It's much more than a fleeting feeling. This is seeing the love of God at work in our lives and imagining that love of of God at work far beyond us as well. So we might think that hoping in Christ looks like sort of sitting patiently and quietly waiting for God to get on with it. But for those throughout the centuries who've been gripped by the full power of Christian hope, it has led to a lifetime of engagement and struggle. Paul writes about suffering, producing endurance, producing character, producing hope. The theologian Jürgen Moltmann, years ago now, said it this way. Faith, wherever it develops into hope, causes not rest, but unrest. Not patience, but impatience. It does not calm the unquiet heart, but is itself this unquiet heart in people. Those who hope in Christ can no longer put up with reality as it is, but begin to suffer under it, to contradict it. Peace with God means conflict with the world, for the goad of the promised future stabs inexorably into the flesh of every unfulfilled present. I want to read that last sentence one more time. Peace with God means conflict with the world, for the goad of the promised future stabs inexorably into the flesh of every unfulfilled present. If you've glimpsed the grace of God, if you've seen what mercy and love look like, how can you settle for less in the world around you? If God has made peace with you, how can you make peace with injustice and violence? All of which is to say that Christian hope is much more than a wish or a feeling. It is a way of life. And it begins with finding your feet in grace again. Remembering the God who created you and sought you in love, who has poured the spirit into your hearts, who has been trustworthy with you. That loving, generous, trustworthy God is not finished with you or with the world. We need that sort of hope today to sustain us for what's ahead, for continuing to show up, to listen, to march, to advocate, to grow, to be partners in Christ's service. So that's the invitation I hear this morning. Find your feet in grace again. Feel that steady ground beneath you. Our hope starts there, my friends, and in Christ. Hope does not disappoint us. Amen.